Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. We've completed the jhana structured study. We're going to. This is just a, a standalone sutta that it fits. It would fit in any standalone study. It's a Bhattacharata sutta. Uh, the subtitle is an auspicious day, and uh, that refers to uh, how we can make any day an auspicious day, depending on what we're holding in mind. And if we're holding in mind the framework of the eightfold path for that day, then that day is in fact an auspicious day. And also notice how uh, the sutta um, points directly to the five clinging aggregates um, as the Buddha teaches, again, the five clinging aggregates. It's kind of, an, uh, kind of a, a sub-lesson in how important it is to understand um, exactly what the Buddha taught and why so that you can properly uh, apply the sutta. In other words, if you, if you were taking the modern... Um, interpretation of the five clinging aggregates or the five khandas or skandhas. Um, there's always magical and mystical connotations applied to these different uh, aggregates. None of them relates to simply understanding them as the ongoing personal experience of suffering as the Buddha teaches. Uh, okay, so let me get to the sutta. The Bhattacharata Sutta. The Buddha was staying in Savati at Jita's Grove in Nathapandika's monastery. There he addressed the, those in attendance. Friends, I will teach you the meaning of an auspicious day. Again, the Buddha is, he's starting this out um, as, he, as he starts many of his suttas with giving a, a uh, it's just an interesting teaching style. He's teaching a generalization at the same time he's teaching something very specific. In other words, an auspicious day can be uh, thought of as applying to the entire Eightfold Path, and then he refines that a little bit more. I will teach you the meaning of an auspicious day. Do not chase after the past or project your thoughts onto the future. He begins that. So an auspicious day is, an, is a day that we can stay mindfully present for our life as our life occurs. Um, by inference, an inauspicious day is a day when we don't do that when we're lost in the past or chasing after the future, including using today to get to tomorrow. And there's a, we're getting to some very fine subtleties of the Dhamma here, because of course a lot of what... Ah, Mateo's joining us. Let me hold that thought and see if I can remember it. Hello, Mateo. I'm glad you joined us. I just made Hi, the statement that a lot of what we're doing today, uh, we should not be doing today what we what we hope to be doing tomorrow, except as it comes to, to careful planning. In other words, in order for me to live successfully today, for example, I need to take a couple of breaths to get me through today. But I cannot take a breath for the next moment or the next day or the, or the next lifetime. I can only breathe for right now. And so I can only live my life in relation to that breath right here and right now. Do not chase after the past or project your thoughts onto the future. 
not entangled with the world, be mindful only of what is occurring. So, Matteo, just again, just to put a little context, this is the Bhada Karata Sutta, subtitle, An Auspicious Day, the inference being if we're not following this, we're living an inauspicious day, a day that is not inclined towards awakening. Not entangled with the world, be mindful only of what is occurring. Free of distraction, well concentrated, develop compassion informed by wisdom. So, Again, an, an aspect of today is to continue to deepen my compassion now informed by wisdom. There's also a subtle inference here that as a consequence of ha- being a human being, you're already compassion, compassionate. Again, notice Siddhartha is not t- teaching us, go learn what compassion is, then you can start your Dhamma practice. It's a given. And it is a given, isn't it? Human beings are born naturally compassionate unless you have a true psychotic um, way of looking at the world. The problem is we don't, we don't have any wisdom to go along with it. Wisdom married, wisdom married with, a comp, with compassion rooted in understanding Four Noble Truths. Free of distraction, well concentrated, develop compassion informed by wisdom. Mindfully engage with what is skillful, right speech, right action, right livelihood, and the rest of the Eightfold Path. The future is uncertain, and death occurs equally for all. No matter how much we might try, we're all going to die. Pay attention to that, and none of us know, what, what does that follow? Excuse me. It follows the Buddha's admonition that the future is uncertain. The future is uncertain and death occurs equally for all. We cannot know what the next moment will bring. So what are we talking about here? Awakening. That's what the Dhamma again, the Dhamma's not not trying to to, to uh, resolve all the great questions. Because in this moment the great questions, where do I come from? Where am I going? Who's in charge of all this? do not matter, do they? Because in the next breath, this could all be over. And do those questions matter then? No. What's most important then? Living this human life. Because those great questions that, that, that are mis- distracting humanity away from their lives forever, for all of humanity, can never be resolved here and now. We can speculate, and some people can choose their lives as a philosopher, philosophizing about the future, but most all of those philosophers have missed the present moment. So do I want to be um, helpful to humanity and telling you where you're going to? Or do I want to be helpful to humanity by telling people you can, felt you can pay attention to where you are? What's more important? Siddhartha decided that what's most important is what's occurring now rather than using now to speculate about the next moment. Think about the brilliance of that because everybody during the Buddhist time and everybody during our time is speculating about the next moment, the next day, the next week, the next lifetime. And most of what we do is in a fabricated way, meaning it cannot have no useful any no it cannot have any useful effect if it's based on a fabrication, but most of our lives lives are based in a fabrication of who we are in relation to the world. And that falls into unwise planning in this moment. Since I don't know who I am and, and 
and how I relate to the world around me, most of my planning is going to be rooted in that fabrication. Most of my decisions about who and what I am going to be or should be, if they're based on a fabrication in this moment, can only lead to a fabricated future. And that fabricated future, again, it could be the next breath, if it's rooted in ignorance, is prone to stress and suffering because I'm carrying these aggregates from one moment to the next. Form, feeling, perceptions, fabrications, ongoing consciousness. Those who remain mindfully engaged with life as life occurs throughout the day have had a truly auspicious day. So again, nothing's left for our own speculation. Do I want to have an auspicious day today? And I can start at any point that I want. If I realize that three quarters of my day is done and I've been yelling and screaming at everybody or myself for three quarters of this day, in this moment I can change this day. And I can have a truly auspicious day if I can remain mindful. And if I can only do that for two minutes and come back to that recognition that I've lost my mind again and practice wise restraint in this moment, that's the only time we can practice Dhamma, right? In this moment. I am giving myself the opportunity for an auspicious moment. And as we build one auspicious moment onto the next, then we are developing a truly auspicious day. From that point, we can now see ourselves clear. I'm putting that way, I'm saying it that way for the, for the effect. Now we can see our ways, ourselves clear to have a truly auspicious life. If I can do it in this moment, I can do it for two moments. If I can do it for two moments, because my mind is now concentrated, I can do it for three. And if I can string three auspicious moments together, I can string enough to make it a day. It's Dhamma practice is just that. It's one auspicious moment, followed by another, followed by another. How do we follow those auspicious moments? Through concentration. Do you see? So the most important aspect of this sutta is understanding why jhana is so important and why other meditation practices simply do not apply because they don't deepen concentration in this way. The Buddha continues. And again, he doesn't leave any of this up to speculation. And How do I stay present for life as life occurs? And how does one avoid chasing after the past? The Buddha teaches us, one does not get carried away with a delight that in the past I had such and such a form. Meaning, well, in this past life, I was King George or I was King Biden, or again, not, not, to be equal, I was King Trump, or I was, I was uh, whatever self-aggrandizing application you might have put into your past live studies. And so, um, I don't know if you remember, during my lifetime, when was it? I think it was in the 80s into 90s. I don't think it made it into the turn of the century. There's a lot of work uh, or notions about soul retrieval and going in and retrieving your soul to make yourself whole. So I studied with, um, I can't think of his name now, Sandra Ingerman, uh, the father of it, doesn't matter. And all of that and other practices were about going in and, and discovering your past lives because all those past lives you're dragging with you into this future moment and they're affecting you. So you got to heal your past lives if you want to heal your future lives. And boy, is that just one huge distraction that can get very costly too, by the way. Um, 
The Buddha did the same thing. It didn't cost him probably as much money as mine did, but he realized the foolishness of it. Human life, we get one human life, and it's this one. This is the human life that we can resolve. Keep your mind out of the past, out of the future, and do it and resolve this life. And getting carried away with a delight, even the idea that, that might have been implanted in my mind, meaning to grasp after a notion of a past life, and then having that notion and delighting in that notion is now causing clinging to that notion, isn't it? And so we can do that with, with every recognition of a past life, one way or another, or another, and drag it into this life as if it's significant and having some effect. When all of that, is, all that that is, as far as I can be sure, is my imagination. Imagination, probably influenced, likely influenced by the life that I've lived and the people that are giving me this instruction to go into my past life. How does one avoid chasing after the past? One does not get carried away with the delight that in the past I had such and such a form, meaning a body. In the past I had such a feeling. That life was so wonderful, I was happy that whole life. Or that, or yesterday was so wonderful, I, had that whole, I was happy all day yesterday. Let me recreate the events. Or in the past I, I had such a fabrication, an idea about who I might be. In the past I had such a consciousness. This is called not chasing after the past. Recognize when you're doing it and stop it. And how does one not project their thoughts onto the future? One does not get carried away with the delight that in the future I might have such, a, such and such a form. Meaning a form that is saved. Or a form that is awakened. Or a form that is sitting at the right hand of God. In the future I might have such a form. In the future I might have such a feeling. Oh, a life that is perfectly at peace and blissful. In the future, I might have such a perception. In the future, I might have such a fabrication. In the future, I might have such a consciousness. A consciousness that knows everything. This is called, avoiding that, this is called not projecting thoughts onto the future. In short, you could say, any thought that's, that's providing resolution of an idea of a self that is less than in this moment is what the Buddha is teaching to avoid doing it. Or even the feeling of what that might be. Like if I could just if I could just get that get what the one job that I'm looking for, if I could get that, I'm gonna feel great about that. You've lost your mind when you start thinking that way. Because a feeling, even if the job might be a, the best job you ever had, the most fulfilling, the most meaningful. Basing, basing that the idea of that job to create a certain feeling is, is a double fabrication, if you will. You don't know if the job's going to be great until you have it. And you don't know what it's going to feel like. And even if the job generates a great feeling initially, that feeling is inconstant. It's impermanent. So why make any judgment about what a situation in the future might feel like. But we do it all the time. Another good example would be for me, and it's a thought that almost killed me many times, was that one more drink or that one more drug is going to make me feel good. But we do that with everything. That next relationship, that next kiss, that next movie, that next golf swing, that next soccer match, that next meditation session is going to make me feel better. 
It's all a fabrication. Recognize it as such and let it go. The Buddha continues, And how does one not become entangled with the world? An uninstructed, ordinary person, lacking understanding of the Dhamma, sees form as the self or the self as possessing form. Namarupa. This is me. I've given this name a form and I'm identifying with it. I'm personalizing myself. Confused. They see suffering as self or the, or the self as possessing feeling. Confused, they see feeling as self or the self as possessing feeling. How you doing today? We almost always respond with how we feel about that day. Because like, we think that's what the question is. How you doing today? And actually the question is, more than likely, how are you feeling today? And it just reinforces the notion that that's important. And I ask that question all the time. Sometimes I'm better at it than I say, "What? how's your Dhamma practice going? I do that often in class. Because that puts the focus on it, isn't it? As your Dhamma teacher, I shouldn't be so interested in how you're feeling today, but I should be interested in how's your Dhamma class going. And so from now on, that's all you should ask everybody else, even though it's not in Dhamma practice. No, I'm just kidding about that. Confused, they see their perceptions as self or their self as possessing perceptions. What would be a perception? The perception that I'm a Democrat and they're all Republicans suck, or I'm a Republican and all Democrats suck. Both ideas are wrong. Confused, they see their perceptions as self or the self as possessing perceptions. Confused, they see their fabrications as self or their self as their fabrications. Confused, they see their consciousness as self or their self as their consciousness. And again, that's the ultimate problem, isn't it? And the ultimate resolution is in that past. I think, therefore, I am. The way, the thoughts that I hold about myself and the world around me determine how I see myself and the world around me. What I hold in mind will determine my experience. So if I'm having stress in any way in my life, if I'm causing stress, or if stress is appearing in my mind, I now know that I'm, I'm the cause of that stress because it's the way that I'm thinking in this moment. No matter what it is that's occurring. Now in this moment, it might be that I just awake, awoken from a dream, awakened from a dream, and I'm lying on a train tracks and a train is coming at me. In this moment, I know what I need to do. I need to get up, wake up, get up, take two steps to the left or the right. But that's as far as I have to take it. I don't have to take it to the next thought, which might be, my God, I can never fall asleep again because a train might hit me. I'm in this present moment. All is fine. The train has... Again, I'm making a very exaggerated reference to make the point. In one moment, I'm in dire straits, aren't I? But I took control of what was occurring, and now it's not. In one moment, I've lost my mind, and the next I've regained it. In the next moment, I might find that, uh uh-oh, I just stepped onto another pair of train tracks and another train is coming at me. What should I do now? Now I know instinctively, one could say naturally, to take two steps to the left, to the right. I'm back in the present moment. All is at peace. And in the next moment and in my next steps, life might throw another train my way. 
But now I know through repeated Dharma practice, through redoing the same thing over and over again, hearing the same thing over and over again, that I naturally and peacefully and gracefully take two steps because I know what to do. I've learned how to regain, regain control of my own mind. That is an auspicious moment leading to an auspicious day. Confused, they see their consciousness as self or their self as their consciousness. This is what is meant by becoming entangled with the day, with the world. And how is one not entangled with the world? A follower of the Dhamma, as we are, who is well-versed and well-trained in the Dhamma, again, the Buddha is using this to make the point. It's not just enough to come across an awakened human being and decide, okay, I'm going to follow him with faith, and that's all I need to do. You have to follow that person as your teacher, not on faith, and let that teacher teach you what they're doing. And then you do what they did. Again, this is not a faith-based dharma. It's an action-based dharma. Ehepasiku. Come and see for yourself. And how is one not entangled in the world? A follower of the dharma who is well-versed and well-trained in the dharma does not see form as self or the self as possessing form. This is not me. This is not mine. This is not what I am. It's just the vehicle for my human life. Everyone has one. Why should I make this personal? If it's Obviously, I look around with with wide open eyes, there's nothing personal like this. Like the, the, the saying that people have about opinions, everyone has one. You know, everyone has one of these too. How could I possibly take it personal unless I start personalizing it? Well, so-and-so was able to play center field for the Yankees and I can't. But the important thing point about that so-and-so playing center field for the Yankees isn't that he played center field for the Yankees. It's that he had a human life just as I am. What he did with his life is up to him. What I do with mine is up to me. Do I want to have this human life to have true meaning for me? Do I want to be mindfully present for this life and so have each and every moment be meaningful? Or do I want to give my life up to an idea of what I might want it to be based on how someone else is living their life? What's my decision? What's your decision? Because it's okay to want to live a fabricated life based on what you think someone else want you, wants you to be or what you think you should be because of an image you have of yourself. Or you can recognize that all images, altruistic or otherwise, are a fabrication. They are not you. They can never be you. And they never will be you. You can ask yourself in this moment, is what I'm doing in my life what I really want to be in this moment? It is, is, it, is it an, a, um, a reasonable expression of what I'm holding in mind? Yes. Is it, a, is it a reasonable expression of who I am? Maybe the answer is no or not yet. Continue Dhamma practice. Because the great liberation that comes from understanding the Dhamma is that in this moment, no matter what is occurring, I can have a calm and peaceful mind. How is that developed? The only way is to be at calm and at peace with who and what I am in relation to the world. 
if I need to be any different than I am in relation to the world in this moment, I've lost my mind and I've lost my, my I've lost the moment. I've lost my life. It is only by the radical acceptance that a Buddha teaches us that we can actually have a human life, meaning being present for it. We learn the difference between approval and acceptance. And if I am not approving anything in this world in relation to myself, I've lost my mind and I've lost the moment. Good news. In the next moment, once I recognize that, I can reclaim my mind and reclaim my life. Moment by moment. It is only at the last breath that we lose the opportunity for a human life. The Buddha continues, with right view established, they do not see fabrications as self or the self as possessing fabrications. Imagine a liberation in that. To know that your thought is pure, it's a reflection of what's actually occurring to you in this moment. Not to me. And that description of what's occurring to you in this moment should not be up to me. It should be up to you. But the only way that you can do that and be safe in the world is to develop the Dhamma and awaken, to become rightly self-awakened. Along the way, and in the context of the Dhamma, a teacher, Matteo and Tom, can point out what that looks like. But it's up to you as Dhamma practitioner, Dave, I'm sorry, David's here too, as a teacher, to point out what it looks like. But that's all that we can do, and that's all Siddhartha's doing. It's up to you to Epicico. Come and see for yourself. Excuse me. It's up to you to have an auspicious moment in an auspicious life. The Buddha continues, With right view established, they do not see consciousness as the self or the self as possession consciousness. I'm freed of my own fabricated thoughts. Imagine that. You don't have to imagine it. You can experience it. This is called not being entangled in the world. By freeing myself from my fabrications, from my ongoing thinking rooted in ignorance, by freeing myself, by becoming rightly self-awakened, this is why we're practicing the Dhamma. Not for some kind of magical deliverance, for the actual experience of awakening, gaining control of our thinking. Now the Buddha doesn't give us doesn't promise these things without, again, telling us how to do it. To develop an auspicious day, remain present with your life as your life occurs. How do we do it? Resting in jhana meditation, isn't it? A well-concentrated mind is a direct counter to not being present with our life as our life occurs. To be, to be, it's a direct counter to living this life with a runaway mind. Right? Isn't it? Would any of you disagree with that statement? That jhana is the direct counter to a runaway mind in this moment? Concentration? It's okay to argue the point. I would just tell you you're wrong, but it's okay to argue the point. To develop an auspicious day, remain present with your life as your life occurs. Do not chase after the past or project your thoughts onto the future. Remain free of entanglements with the world and mindful of what is occurring. Be mindful of impermanence and uncertainty. 
Those that do so, let me just read it again. Be mindful of impermanence and uncertainty. Uncertainty is, the, is an aspect of impermanence, correct? Be mindful of impermanence and uncertainty. Those that do so will have an auspicious day. Remaining mindful of impermanence and uncertainty in this moment. I will remain mindful of impermanence and uncertainty and by doing so, I will have an auspicious day. So says this peaceful sage. That's the extent of the stutta. The extent I meant to say. So, um, this is, I, maybe I would call it a medium-length sutta, but it's a good one to revisit. Um, if you're ever looking for just a, an inspiration for your day, if you wake up feeling a little bit blah, maybe not well-focused, read this sutta again, because it tells you just what you're in for, having an auspicious day. Right, Dominic? Of course, great teacher. <laughs> uh, first of all, let me just say, Matteo, uh, you know the song from Talking Heads, Psycho Killer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I seem that I'm here to stealing something, I know that. <laughs> Every time I look at you, I will just start to laugh, you know, and when you smile, people are just like, whoa. Psycho yeah, I, I think well, for this session, at least we'll call him Angela Miller. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, about the Sutta, uh, yeah, I mean, I think I understand it. You know, it sounds really great to be in that state of mind. Uh, but to be truthful uh, today, you no, know, all I could hear me saying was bollocks, bollocks bollocks <laughs> uh, so I don't know today it could be Tom Cruise on the other side talking about Scientology and I would just be like again bollocks bollocks it can't be done it can't be done you know so today maybe it wasn't the best day for me to to hear this sutta I understand it but to be able to uh, identify it you know with the, this peace of mind and concentration is just at this moment, impossible. So I just dismiss it. Yeah. So thanks, Tom. It's not the it's not the best day for you to hear it, and it's not the worst day. It's the day that you heard it. That's why. Exactly. Again, that's his Dhamma practice. And I, and again, I think that you're also mentioning that this sutta talks about understanding impermanence and uncertainty. This day is a part of that impermanence and uncertainty. And I got you see that. It today does not yeah, define I do. tomorrow. I, said, does I, said, it? I, I completely agree with it and everything but just you know if someone said yeah it's possible for you to achieve this state of mind bollocks <laughs> and you've had experiences where they where it wasn't just bollocks mm, yeah of course <laughs> 99 and 1 my friend yeah yeah I try to remember that yeah. Wait, we'll talk anytime you want. Just let me know. We'll, we'll, we'll get together. Okay, thanks. Yeah. Uh, I, I believe David doesn't, uh, is just listening, and Deb is just listening. So let's go to Tom. Hello, Tom. Hi, John. Hi, everyone. Um, yeah, I'd love later, Matteo, please tell us where you are. Um, and I'm very, very curious. Um, but anyway, I'm wondering if you're in your cave uh, or near it. Um, anyway. Um, 
I actually really enjoyed the suitor. Um, I have had an extremely busy few days with work. Um, I read this suitor yesterday, though, and uh, so it's good to listen to it now. Um, I I find, I mean, maybe to, yeah, to some, I don't know if it's words of um, encouragement for Dominic or, um, but it's this idea that we can permanently have an auspicious day or every moment will be, will be auspicious is difficult to comprehend um, just because because of impermanence, right? And the fact that there's no such thing, I think, as, as being permanently enlightened or, I'm sorry, maybe there is, but that the nature of it is not that you become permanently enlightened and then you don't have to do any work. Um, so at least what really helps me, even the last few days when I've been so busy, is I'm noticing more and more this ability to just let stuff go, even if it's for a moment. Um, and, and those small wins, that, that, that five seconds of, uh, like, I, I almost feel this. I, I notice how my mind is just constantly, um, like, making so much effort the whole time my mind is trying to work out the world and work out my life and and just those moments of letting that go i really i feel it very it feels very real inside my mind and it's this the ultimate i mean you imagine a muscle that's constantly working and then you just let it go just just for even if it's for a few seconds for me, that is everything because is. Yes. I, know, I know it's going to start working again, my mind, because it's impermanent and that's what minds do. But knowing that I can let go and that it is all fabrications, it's just reassuring and it, and it improves my general mind state because I have this like superpower now to be able to let go. <laughs> so my mind is still just as busy as it was, but this the wisdom of the dharma and that yeah it's a su- it is a superpower for me that and um that 15 seconds of letting go is is just charges up my day it just it just it gives me the opportunity to feel that i'm having an auspicious day even if you know i i still get very very distracted so um that, that was one thing but that's an auspicious moment that you're describing tom i don't mean to interrupt you but yeah. that is dharma practice that uh, yeah. I don't know if you saw how many times I'm giving you the, you know, the hands because it, it, that's something you were not able to do. I'm again not yes or no. That's not something you were able to do before Dhamma practice. You weren't able to recognize that effort and tension that was created in your own mind. Isn't that interesting that you were that all human beings do this? That you were thinking in a way that you didn't even notice how you were thinking. And yet it, it's your thoughts. That's an example of people of losing your mind when you yeah. can't do that is exactly what I mean. Globally, you, it, you, you, you can say that everybody's lost their mind, but that, that's not really what I'm referring to. It's that that you're saying, because that's where we can gain control of our mind is by that recognition. So, again, pure Dhamma practice 
from a teacher. Thank you, Tom. And I, again, please continue. Yeah, it's, it's those auspicious moments which, which mean so much. Um, I, I just had a question. Um, how do you approach aspiration, this concept of um, aspiring? And I don't mean aspiring for material gain or for fabricate, you know, fabricated views, like aspiring to become the world's whatever um, best um, tennis player or golf player or whatever. I mean, aspiring to awaken um, what role does aspiration play, do you think, before it becomes a fabrication or you get carried away in that fabrication? I mean, yeah. sometimes the reason I ask is because it, it does excite me in some ways, the idea of awakening yeah. and this idea in my life that I can become more and more awakened not yes. you know i'm not 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 clinging to the idea that i'll be 100 percent awakened at one point i mean who knows uh you know but but um it does motivate me but i'm just curious about your what are your thoughts on that and how has how has aspiration helped or hindered your your practice john another uh, great question um there's a there's actually a, a poly word for skillful desire and it's chanda happened to be the name of the of siddhartha's horse um and so what when we enter the dhamma we're looking at only understanding dukkha which is which again covers the whole gamut of human stress and suffering correct it's broad uh that idea of chanda is also um as broad meaning those little moments that we recognize, as you just described, those are, those are periods of chanda. Of, they're the, the desire that's generated, the excitement that's generated is a skillful desire, and it's skillful because it's based on an actual real-life experience, that little moment of, of pause that you talked about. And then you can also think about it this way. I used to have a, a teacher years ago, great guy, kind of touched on a little bit of Buddhism, but not, you know, he wasn't a Buddhist. His name was Arnold Patton. <clears throat> and he used to talk about the, um, uh, trying to use, use his example. Well, I'll put it this way. That would probably be too confusing. Along the way, well, I'll use another one of his, not the one I was going to use. Arnold was a was a, a competitive ten, a tennis player. When I came across him, we and he didn't start teaching anything until he was in his fifties. He was a very famous uh, real estate attorney out here on the East Coast. And he uh, his backstory isn't important. He was also a very good near professional level tennis player. But as he started to gain his own understanding of who and what he was in relation to the world, again not Buddhism he realized that the competition that he put himself through his whole life was one of the things that also hurt him. And so he developed this way that he called it non-competitive tennis, which was him and his, a couple of buddies got together and they just kept, the, all, they, their whole game was, was playing hard, but also keeping the ball going, not trying to beat the other guy, keeping it going back and forth over the net. And so he developed within himself and three other buddies who like playing tennis this way, a lot of fun. 
Dharma practice should be like that. It should be that, that kind of playfulness as we understand when we, when we can't get the ball over the net, we don't worry about it, right? It's just, it's just it, we're having fun doing this. That's the attitude to have to bring into each and every moment. And of course it is because we're awakening. This should be fun. Meditation should be t- fun. Going to sit on our cushion for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes or an hour shouldn't be something we do with grim determination. It should be something we look forward to because it's a true refuge, because we know that. We've had that experience. And that doesn't mean that some days it's going to be difficult to sit, but we do it because, in general, we understand just what Tom said. We've had that experience in this moment of having control of my mind and the, the benefits that it brings. So, Thank you, Tom. Does that reference hey, what you were saying? Yeah, good. Thank you, Tom. Um, and again, David or Dre or, or Dev, if you want to talk, just uh, just come on and holler. But I, I just I know what you said, and I'll kind of leave it at that and go to Matteo. Hello, I Matteo. Think, I think David just spoke. Uh, oh, good. Yeah, I think David. I think David wanted to, wanted to say something. Oh, I, I, I just wanted to add. You know, the, there's joyful engagement. You know, yes. To acknowledge the moments that you're you're aware of your practice and the successes and it's within the framework of the Eightfold Path so it's not driven by an unhealthy desire or a goal of awakening but it also includes that gentleness when as Dominic's experiencing that that's just what you're experiencing at that moment and Dukkha arises and passes, and you have your next moment. So, again, it's part of what is developed uh, over a course of time, and you know, it allows for that gentleness that's really a requirement. So, th- thank you, John. Thank you. Uh, thank you, David. That, so well said. Uh, it's uh, I, I'm going to have to charge more for these meetings when we have. Uh, five teachers, four teachers here because it's it's just worth a lot more. I just I'm just kidding, but it really it's remarkable how uh, how this works as a saga that we're all supporting each other and obviously supporting Dominic and Deb. But this is this is the result of a well focused and well informed saga uh, with some uh, teachers and teachers in training that brings so much. And now that I've teed it up for you, Matteo, let's see how you're going to hit it. Hi, everybody. Okay, first of all, I will show you where I am so you can see. Yeah. So beside that, there is a, like a toilet, but that is like that is like the the island. I don't know if you can oh, see wow. it. Oh, wow, yeah. Wow, are you living there now? Is this the island you're living on? Yeah, back and forth. I'm not stable yet. I'm just doing like a lot of work on the, on the apartment. And that's like twice per week I come here, the painting, uh, fixing something. I get like a very terrible apartment because it was very cheap. But now I have to fix everything. Wait, now where is it? It's, uh, it's not exactly an island. It's like a, a small peninsula. It's called Danun. It's like uh, southern Scotland. Wow, beautiful. D-U-N-O-O-N. It's uh, it's it's in the Highland. It's the beginning of the Highland. So it's a very nice place. Uh, but now you know a lot of work to do. I need to move stuff, and uh, I need to move a wife, brother, carer. I need to move a lot of people here. And and yeah, today like 
pretty much like Domin. I have like a, a bad day because, you know, I come here with a lot of plan in my mind. You know, I have to do this, this and that and I uh, will be done before the class. And then uh, I didn't conclude anything because uh, I, I remind myself after a while when I got pissed off, I say, okay, so apply the right effort, the right intention and the right views. Like it doesn't work always as you want. <laughs> yeah, it, the Dharma is impermanent. So, yeah, because it was something silly, you know, I was painting and then I realized I finished all, all the painting. I said, okay, I had to order out. Then I, I bought a washing machine to think that I'm very good. I, I couldn't carry, not even lift one second the washing machine. I have to pay people, come here and help me. It was like one mistake after another mistake. After a while, I just let him go. I said, okay, let me go to meditate. I stop everything, I meditate. And then like uh, uh, I come back and say, okay. Now I can do something. Whatever I can do, it's fine. Yeah. Otherwise, I come back again another day. It was yeah. like, and it turned completely my my day in a very in a very simple way. Yeah. Very simple way. Pure Dharma practice. And I'm Good for you. Now, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. That you you interrupted again. Just such a good example of interrupting your thinking using jhana meditation. That's what it's intended for. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, I'm very, I'm very glad that because to come because then I like I really feel okay. I need, I need to come to the class and yeah. I just like drop and it's like almost done go. Like it's freezing here because I don't have internet at home yet, so I'm in uh, in the harbor. <laughs> yeah, freezing. and you so you gave yourself an auspicious amount of time, didn't you? It's just again, just the the your life as metaphor for this sutta, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and yeah, I really remember today, like, exactly the right effort and then the right action. When I say, okay, I'm doing this stuff. I know it will be very uncomfortable for a while. Maybe I, I'm doing a very big mistake, but I think I have to do it. Like, that is the right effort. Yeah. yeah. Uh, again, it, it's, just, it's just like this. And this is the practical application of the Dhamma. This is how it works and the only way it can work. And it, it even works for serial killers like yourself, Matteo. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I like the look. It's a good look. Uh, all right. We'll, uh, we'll finish uh, as we always do. Uh, wonderful class. Wonderful sangha. Um, let me just call up the, the Meta Sutta. Any, uh, any questions or comments before we finish? Okay. So again, take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath and let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. And these are the Buddha's words on metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state, 
Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class today. Peace. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.